0: Welcome to The Virtual Shift, a show looking at the seismic changes happening in healthcare with virtual care at the epicenter. Join me and my guests as we look at key cultural and policy shifts impacting how providers, payers, and patients connect, as well as how care is being reimagined both for today and the future. Hello, and thanks for tuning in today. I'm your host, Tom Foley. You can learn more about this show by visiting the program on healthcarenowradio.com, and be sure to follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, at FoleyTom. And the hashtag, the virtual shift. And we have a great guest on today, Tommy Ibrahim, MD. He is the president and CEO of Bassett Healthcare Network. Tommy, welcome to the program.
1: So glad to be here, Tom. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Awesome. I am very excited about uh, speaking to you. You have uh, some very interesting perspectives relative to Bassett Healthcare, care in the rural setting, as well as uh, fee for service versus value based care. And hopefully we'll get to all those points in this conversation. So before we, uh, we kick off the conversation or kicking off the conversation, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, Bassett Healthcare?
1: Yeah, no, thanks, Tom. Um, so uh, as you uh, mentioned, I'm a physician by background, internal medicine trained. Um, I grew up on the East Coast, trained in Baltimore, Maryland, practiced as an internist in hospitals for many years, got tugged into leadership somewhere along the way there. Uh, I often joke uh, and say out of frustration. Um, I would always run into issues getting in the way of ideal patient care, and would figure out how to fix that. Uh, and before I knew it, I was getting uh, pulled into, uh, you know, larger roles. Um, ultimately, uh, went into much uh, larger and successively uh, accelerating physician executive roles, and ultimately landing here at Bassett as the CEO. Uh, Bassett's a wonderful, wonderful organization. It's been around um, for over 100 years. Uh, we're located in central New York. Uh, our flagship hospital, Basta Medical Center, is based out of Cooperstown, New York, which is uh, the baseball epicenter of the world. And um, we are uh, a large integrated uh, rural uh, healthcare delivery system with about five different hospitals across the central New York region. We span 5,600 square miles. Uh, we offer all of, uh, you know, a number of advanced clinical capabilities, uh, as well as a, a full care continuum operation, a fully employed medical group, uh, a wonderful uh, backbone in academics and research that dates back many decades, uh, and an incredible partnership with Columbia University out of Manhattan, where we co-operate a medical school program, uh, among many other things. So uh, all in all, uh, a fantastic organization with a fantastic future.
0: Well, what what compelled me was your focus, uh, as I was saying in the opening, uh, fee-for-service to value-based care. So let's talk a a little bit about that first, and then we'll get into how how that might apply and the challenges you might have in uh, doing that uh, in the rural setting. So this is the biggest challenge, right? Everybody typically is in a a fee-for-service model. We're trying to get over to value. My, I personally don't believe that there's been an established pathway to show physicians how to get there. So they continue to run, as I always say, and hope you don't take offense to it, but they continue to run on the hamster wheel uh, because they don't have any other way. And if they need to make more money, they run faster on the hamster wheel as opposed to really trying to do what they want to do. And one of the things in your article that, that I had read, physicians are just trying to keep their head above water. Right. Uh to, to step off and to be strategic and to look at how to apply value based care without losing the business that they're in is is a very challenging aspect of, of the model. So tell us a little bit about your thoughts on fee for service and then and, and why the need to move to value based care.
1: Yeah, Tom, I mean, I think you touched on it really well. I mean, you know, the the model uh, sort of historically has been the fee-for-service model. It's what, um, you know, I trained within. It's what most physicians know best. um, And it's what um, we've sort of been accustomed to. Uh, The incentives are such where uh, it does pay more to do more. And, you know, that often contributes uh, to an excessive amount of utilization, often unnecessarily. It contributes to, uh, you know, an excessive amount of waste. Uh, in the organization. And, it, and it's sort of, you know, one of the main uh, and predominant reasons why uh, healthcare is 18% of the GDP. Uh, we all know that that's not sustainable anymore. We all know that we need to, uh, you know, make adjustments, but that that uh, that transition is very, very difficult. Uh, the incentives are not aligned. Um, you know, as I mentioned in my health leaders media article, um, you know, right now, Uh, It's uh, incredibly challenging for uh, organizations like Bassett and the many other organizations across the country, particularly in rural healthcare, Um, to to make that leap just because of the the financial uh, straits that we are often, um, you know, finding ourselves in. I mean, if you look across the country, over 50% of hospitals are just, um, you know, narrowly making any kind of margin and the other 50% are losing money and significantly so. Um, So um, the incentives are just not aligned. Uh, We don't have the, I think, the reserves to invest in the necessary infrastructure, uh, you know, the capabilities around uh, analytics that are required to make that transition the infrastructure that's required around case management and patient navigation, all of those really, um, you know, to be successful in a value-based model, require investment in resources, um, most of which uh, organizations like ourselves just don't have the capacity to, to take on at this point in time. So uh, th- there's a significant challenge um, that uh, I think uh, requires both state and federal legislators, it requires community organizations and healthcare leaders to really come together to try to address here once and for all. But it's uh, it's not going to be easy.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I hear you. What What role do you think the consumer has? Now, I know you have a, a unique situation. You're in a rural setting so it's not as if I can hop in a car and, and drive two minutes to uh, to my doctor's office. It's a, typically it's an hour or two, and that that creates uh, the greater challenge, right? Uh, and uh, sometimes coming into town, if you will, through an hour, an hour and a half ride, it's uh, it's quite expensive, and it's a it's a fifteen minute event, and then I'm I'm driving another hour and a half back home, right? So, but what, what responsibilities do you think payers and providers have? And even patients have in the move to value-based care?
1: I mean, I think it's uh, it has to be a partnership. I think, um, you know, the sort of the paradigm of uh, payers and providers sort of, um, you know, rustling uh, at the table around fees and sort of negotiated rates and things along those lines uh, is really, uh, you know, way of the past. And, um, you know, the more that we could collaborate particularly if if we're uh, of the same mindset to move in a value-based direction i think the better it is for everybody including uh, including patients of course Uh, i believe payers are very motivated uh, to have this conversation obviously it it serves um, you know uh, their um, uh, agenda well uh, as it does for uh, value-based providers like ourselves and i would also go as far to say that um, you know i think rural um, geographies and demographics actually you know, create a, a wonderful sort of um, uh, place to start in terms of driving a value-based agenda. I mean, if you look at uh, the region that we care for, it's a pretty well-defined region. It's large, 5,600 square miles, but it is pretty well-defined. You know, across that uh, geography, um, uh, you know, Bassett Healthcare Network is, uh, um, you know, one of the sole providers in that space with uh, a very, you know, strong relationship and deep loyalty, um, you know, bi with our communities. Um, and uh, it is elderly, right? It is sort of a, a frail and, and very dispersed, uh, you know, region uh, that, um, uh, that is often challenged from a recruitment perspective, often challenged from, another, from other resource perspectives. Um, and, uh, you know, again, sort of serves as a, a wonderful incubator, if you will, uh, to really begin driving this notion of value-based care and this proposition of doing more with less, uh, you know, really focusing on um, you know creating value. Really focusing on health and wellness. Focusing on prevention. Focusing on you know reducing utilization, um, which is uh, already sort of happening by necessity, quite frankly, because uh, we just don't have the necessary manpower or the resources or the infrastructure to uh, to support. You know all of the sort of acute sick care needs that the community might need. So why don't we make the shift? Right? Why don't we move more quickly uh, to uh, to really supporting health and wellness and prevention?
0: To some degree, I think uh, a path. uh, If I might take the opposite view, I think that there is a path to find. I I just don't think it's it's promoted correctly. And and so hear me out for a couple seconds. So the average Medicare pay. My audience knows these stats. They know where I'm going. The average Medicare patient, not, uh, five chronic conditions, sees nine different doctors. By CMS stats, they're only in front of their doctor 15 hours in a given year. So the question, and to me, the way Tom Foley defines the care gap, is what happens to the other 8,745 hours? That really is really where the value is, um, is missed in that, it's that lack of engagement. You know, I, I gave you my I, I went through the trouble of actually getting diagnosed, uh uh, uh having the exams, ha- being diagnosed, getting the scripts, getting my care plan. I go home and I continue to eat that fried chicken, right? Or or some other junk food that is not as healthy as other foods, right? So, and you should know that my father was uh, was obese, so I, I speak from uh, actually crew experience uh, about this. So. But the point is, is that it's only one. What it's not, and I always take the uh, cases. It's not so important as to what happens when you're in front of the doctor. It's what happens when you're not in front of the doctor that really tells whether or not you are on this continuum from awareness. I've just been notified I have diabetes to a a greater state of wellness, right? So, uh, so so the point there being is, how do we close that gap, right? In a fee for service model, I would argue. Uh, certainly telehealth, remote patient monitoring, chronic care management are all fee-for-service oriented, right? But at the end of the day, when you deploy that, while efficient might not uh, might not be interested in whether or not uh, they reduce the emergency room visits or hospitalizations, because they don't get paid on that anyway, right? At least a, a primary care and internalist wouldn't. But it shows what they can do with a virtual program. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're spot on, Tom. And thanks for sharing some of those stats. I learned a few things from from your comments. Um, and you know, this is not this is not uncharted territory, right? I mean, there's a lot of organizations that have already figured this out. I mean, I just think about some of the other vertically integrated healthcare systems out there, like Geisinger and Intermountain. You know, these payvider institutions that have uh, you know created health plans and, and learned how to really manage risk well do this extraordinarily well extraordinarily well right so um you 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 sort of create this ecosystem around the patient that uh does exactly what you mentioned here tom is sort of you know create a care delivery model that uh, engages patients uh, uh, uh you know throughout the year not just sort of sort of in an episodic fashion, right? So, uh, you know, patient navigation becomes critically important in that, uh, you know, making sure that there's, uh, you know, a a wraparound of technology, uh, sort of automated reminders, education, uh, you know, ways to uh, sort of uh, uh, check in on patients remotely through remote patient monitoring. I mean, there's so many new technologies and tools that are at our disposal now, particularly, you know, throughout the pandemic, the you know, we've seen a, an incredible explosion of digital health and, and innovation, um, you know, uh, within the industry, um, you know, to, to do this very thing, right, is to sort of, you know, create this catalyst to drive value-based care and to support uh, the holistic needs of patients. So it is absolutely doable. Uh, organizations are doing it every day and doing it remarkably successfully. And we just need to, you um, uh, you know, m- model after those and not reinvent the wheel.
0: No, I I, I agree. And uh, so, you know, and that's why I asked the question earlier about, you know, what responsibility does a patient have? Right? It, the the sole responsibility of value doesn't rely on the on the physician, at least in my opinion. And you know, in and when when an organization, uh, you know, they you know the, the greatest leaders in the world will tell you an organization uh, uh, operates best when there's alignment, right? When I go to, you know, holiday uh, family uh, outings and, and and sit down at the dinner table with friends and things of that nature, I ask them, do they even know what value-based care is? And they, th- no one knows, right? So the point is, is that in, in a value-based care system, I have greater responsibility. I might also say accountability to reduce my uh, A1C, right, to go on a diet and lose weight, to exercise, right? It's not, that's the prescription. It doesn't always have to be a drug. The point there being is I, I think that the health system is lacking alignment between what happens inside the walls, the brick and mortar of healthcare, versus what happens inside the walls of a home. And, and, and so they walk away with that script and they say, I don't want to take that script, right? That's, so you're, you know, the doctor is 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 out on the limb here because the doctor is in a value-based care model and they get paid on outcomes, right? For the most part. And uh, so I, I just think that there's uh, how, how would you suggest we better align uh, the ecosystem, if you will, or uh, patients with the understanding of hey, you're operating within a value-based care model here, and these are your, these are this is what our expectations are.
1: Yeah, I I think it's a fantastic question Tom. I mean, I just sort of think about um, you know, just even beyond healthcare, you know, just think about Um, you know, I think about myself, actually, right, trying to stay motivated just to work out or eat healthier, you know, we all get weak, right? And uh, we're uh, sort of in a flurry uh, every single day that we uh, often prioritize things that are are more immediate or urgent and um, deprioritize everything else, right? And I would imagine, uh, you know, that is a a large problem, right, within, uh, you know, uh, healthcare and patients taking care of their health. Um, you know, we often deal with non-compliance and medication non-adherence and all of these other things. But I think the large majority of of people, you know, we're, we're going to have your recalcitrant folks that are going to be immobile, right? You're not going to be able to move them regardless of what you do. But I think the large majority of patients, if they had the proper coaching, if they had the proper support systems, if they had the appropriate structures in place, um, they would really, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, keep the momentum and maintain motivation to do what's what's best. Um, and, um, you know, I think that's where we come in, right? That's where uh, as a healthcare provider, you know, the, we sort of pride ourselves of being the most trusted healthcare provider for our communities. If we can foster that relationship and build that ecosystem around the patients, I think the vast majority will uh, will come along. We're not going to get everybody, but the vast majority I think will come along.
0: Yeah, I agree. So, you know, we talked a little bit about emerging technologies and, and some tools that can be put into the hands of uh, patients and even the, the provider to leverage. Where do you see the convergence of your challenge in rural health care with the adoption of emerging technologies to advance your cause?
1: Look, my thesis is that um, uh, rural healthcare is going to um, become dependent um, on uh, innovation and technology. I mean, that is my thesis um you know i uh, i believe it is going to be the single most important lifeline for rural healthcare uh for various different reasons right I mean, if you just look at the the number of challenges that we're up against i mean again elderly frail population uh you know major social determinants that are very uh difficult to to address like transportation and uh and broadband access um you know uh, food food um poverty energy inefficiency i mean you name it um it's a very challenged demographic and um you know we were having a hard time staffing our our uh, facilities uh, you know, prior to the pandemic, post-pandemic, you know, workforce staffing in rural healthcare has just been completely decimated. Hard to recruit people, uh, people to rural. Hard to keep them there. Uh, there are housing uh, shortages. There are again transportation uh, challenges, um, and there's resource issues. Uh, you know, within within rural environments that make it hard for particularly younger families, um, you know, with children to, uh, you know, move to move to the region. So all of those. Uh, complexities really create for a major scarcity, um, you know, that uh, I think um, often feeds a vicious cycle within rural healthcare. So uh, I believe that we have to fundamentally reinvent the care delivery model. Um, I believe uh, it is uh, absolutely going to become dependent on uh, virtual uh, capabilities, you know, we're driving today at Bassett a virtual nursing program, we're driving virtual ICU programs, we're looking at rolling out a virtual-first model, which would essentially, uh, you know, uh, segregate all of the lower acuity type uh, visits to more of a virtual, um, you know, platform, uh, and uh, free up our, uh, you know, our physicians on the ground and our APCs on the ground to see the more complex. Uh, cases that are, you know, requiring sort of that face-to-face interaction. Um, and I think, you know, that is going to continue uh, to, to grow and spur. Um, and I think particularly as we continue to drive this value-based agenda, looking to other partners uh, that's, you know, in this uh, new innovation ecosystem that's been created, is going to be absolutely essential. So I don't see a future in rural healthcare without digital, without innovation.
0: And, uh, and oftentimes uh, you talk about digital and the demographics of the uh, population being elderly, the too often, at least in my opinion, you often hear that they don't match well, right? Older people typically don't use technology. How do you solve, how do you solve that problem?
1: Yeah, we studied that you know across central New York, and I was um, really uh, actually pleasantly surprised at how um, you know that uh, that perception was um, uh, was not true. Um, You know, we do have broadband issues, there's no question about 17% of our population has limited or no access to, uh, you know, strong connectivity, um, internet connectivity. Um, And, uh, you know, there's no question um, that uh, uh, I think an elderly population is a little bit, uh, you know, less digitally savvy. Um, We were very surprised to also learn that, um, you know, if you look at our Epic platform, for example, MyEpic, which is the sort of the online uh, portal for our patients, Uh, We um, actually have over 65% uh, registration, so that means, you know, over 65% of our community is on that portal, uh, which means they're actively, you know, going online and scheduling their appointments, they're looking at their medical records, they're sending emails uh, to their physicians, uh, and actively engaging through an electronic means, which is staggering, and if you look at across all of the uh, you know epic shops across the country um, you know we're, uh, we're way above uh, the, the bar in terms of the the utilization and the engagement um, across epic so that was a very I think striking uh, and pleasant surprise to, to all of us um, so I guess my point is you know I, I think that is uh, there's some truth to what you're saying about kind of an elderly uh, population maybe uh, disinclined uh, to engage through technological means but I think more and more um, we're we're seeing a, a growing trend where uh, that uh, that is starting to catch up in a very positive way.
0: Yeah, I, I actually tend to agree with you. I used to be a, a patient portal product manager uh, in two different EHR efforts, and uh, and currently very involved in uh, apps uh, in, in the same light. Uh, but you know, I have an eighty four year old mother in law who has a smartphone in her hand all the time, right? Yep. So. I, I always try and challenge the person that says an elderly person won't use it because I just have a different uh, experience. I, uh, but and I'm, so I'm glad you you're one of the few that actually have reinforced that. So I appreciate that. I might say, I might borrow this sound clip. And no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <That's>
1: <laughs> right.
0: But uh, so so we have uh, we have a couple minutes uh, left. We have this uh, convergence of uh, technology. What do you think that uh, local, state, and federal government needs to do differently in order to address address these problems?
1: You know, I think I think it has to be all hands on deck. I think we're really at an inflection point right now in healthcare. Um, you know, uh, obviously, what um, what we've been going through as an industry uh, for the past few years has really precipitated uh, an acute crisis. Quite frankly, um, you know, just as an example, there's over 600 rural hospitals across the country that are at risk of closure. That's a that's a staggering number, and you know, and for rural in particular, most of those hospitals are usually the largest economic drivers for those communities. They're the largest employer um uh, you know not uh, not to mention obviously the single uh, the single source of healthcare services so um you know uh, beyond rural i think most of healthcare is, is feeling a, an intense pinch right now with uh, the economic challenges that we're dealing with the workforce related challenges uh, um, you know, I don't see uh, a, a future, quite frankly, without, you know, heavy, uh, you know, government um, intervention. And, um, you know, I think uh, a government has to play a role in sort of addressing the, the current economic crisis that we all are experiencing. I think government has to definitely play a role in partnership with employers and other community partners uh, to really drive a value-based agenda moving forward, uh, and to uh, you know ensure the viability of healthcare services um, and access, quite frankly, uh, for patients. Uh, otherwise, I fear um, it is going to really um, you know affect patient outcomes long-term, and we're starting to see that unfortunately play out now, um, you know, across uh, the country. So um, I, I believe this is the time for, uh, you know, state and, and federal, uh, you know, legislators, uh, organizations like, um, you know, the American Hospital Association, other advocacy organizations to really come together with, with payers, with providers, uh, to try to figure out how to solve this once and for all. Otherwise, we're going to continue to spiral, and our, you know our costs will continue to go out of control and put further risk and pressure on the on the entire system.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm going to stray for a second. You know, uh, we're both from Jersey, so I was on the board of education for a long time. I was the county, Monmouth County, legislative representative, and at the time, the governor uh, had uh, had. Uh, there was new legislation where it would fund reconstruction of schools. So we're in a new school, uh, an urban school district and brand new school building. And the state legislator said to me at the ceremony, he says, it's not going to make a difference. Right. We invested this. The, the, the building looks nice. But if you're not, but these kids are going to come from a broken home, spend five hours in a building and go back to that broken home the the cycle of so the point there being is education wasn't about the brick and mortar the education was actually what took place and what did the kid, what did the child learn and 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 in your and you and you have to and it's a 24-hour process if you will not a five-hour event right so the same thing holds true in healthcare, is that you know, redoing something in the inside the brick and mortar or even extensions into the home is helpful, but there's a larger ecosystem. And that's where this other factors uh, come into play. What surprises me most is that with the, with all due respect, uh, the dysfunction in healthcare today, the need for investment today, there, I haven't heard one politician, if you will, running for president across the board talk about healthcare. It's not it's not on the agenda. And then that, that is what's so surprising. I didn't I don't mean to turn this into a political discussion, not at all. But it is interesting that as much as we need a transformation, the leadership from the top, whether current or future, needs to needs to be part of that cheerleading squad that says this is what we're going to do. Bipartisan, this is what we're going to do. Right. W- w- thoughts on that? without getting i don't again not wanting to get political but just yeah. overall relative to a, an agenda
1: you know i don't pretend um you know to know how to fix this at at the at the uh, sort of the governmental level it is extremely extremely complex um yeah. you know all, all that i know is that we we all have to come together and educate um and um you know help uh, help our lawmakers really understand um some of the challenges that we're facing and what it really means for patients um, you know, in my discussions um, with lawmakers at both the state and federal level, I think all of them are really well-intentioned, but I, I do think that there's a fundamental misunderstanding of uh, the, the reality on the ground, and um, I really think that that contributes to a lot of the, the churn and the spin that we, um, you know, we often deal with.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I, I absolutely agree with uh, this is all one country. We're all on the same team, as I say, uh, so we all have to come together and fix it. Uh, so um, with that, we'll close there. Tommy, I truly appreciate you coming on the program, sharing Thanks. your views, sharing your uh, thoughts about where we can, where we need to go. Uh, you're always welcome to come back onto the program. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for having me, Tom. This was fun. Take care.
0: That's today's shift. I appreciate the audience taking the time to tune in. If you missed part of today's episode, you can tune back in at the healthcarenowradio.com at the same time 11 a.m. or 7 p.m. Eastern throughout the week. And be sure to check out the program page at thevirtualshift.co. As well, remember to follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter at FoleyTom, and follow the show's hashtag, TheVirtualShift. I'm Tom Foley. Until the next shift.